0: Welcome to another episode of the Work Hard, Play Hard podcast. My name is Rob Murgatroyd. And each week on this podcast, I talk to some of the most fascinating people on the planet in all areas of life, from mindset to fitness to spirituality, and of course, business. Look, I believe you deserve success in all the areas of your life, not only business. But before we get into today's show, you may want to join us on our next Work Hard, Play Hard experience. This year, we're gonna be going to Mykonos and Marrakesh. In these experiences, I have hand-selected a group of high-performing business people who are seeking more balance, connection, and they wanna celebrate their wins as a reward for the hard work that they put in. If you want someone to curate once-in-a-lifetime experiences and force you to play more, rush over to workhardplayhardexperience.com. Fill out an application so we can jump on a discovery call to see if this is a good fit for you. And remember, excuses are over, it's time to live.
1: That's the inflection point that people really need to hear more than anything. It's that ability to really relate to the struggle, the challenge, the limitations that we all have as humans. And then the overcoming of it is the hero's journey. It's getting on the other side of it. It's being able to actually transform. And so that's what every great movie has at the core of it. It's this arc of the protagonist that goes from the underdog to the one who wins the game, right? So that's the hero's journey that we all go through on some level. So it's an interesting thing when people think about celebrity as like the goal, I'm like, "Uh uh-uh, that's the booby prize. But a lot of people have bought into it.
0: You, welcome to the yes. show. thank you for having me. I am super excited to have you on the show for a million reasons. One of which is we have, whenever I have one guy that comes up from 10 different friends, it's always like, <laughs> why, why have we not met each other yet? But it's the timing I think is just perfect now. So
1: absolutely, so I'd agree.
0: Thanks for taking the time to do this.
1: Yeah, that's great. It's great to see you. By the way, it's a great jacket. I was noticing on your Instagram that you've been doing a little bit more in the way of conscious shopping, like really dialing in the look. And I want to say you're it's working.
0: I gotta tell you, look, here's here's the deal. I was in LA for the last couple of years, and I spend most of my time in LA uh in pajamas. You know, let's let's be honest, <laughs> right? You it's it's yeah. like uh, I got the sweats that I I go to coffee with in the morning. The sweats I go to the gym with, but they're different. The ones I go out to dinner with, you know what I mean. The weekend sweats, yep. it, it doesn't fly here. Like if you, like you don't <laughs> see anybody in sweats. If you do, it, they're like a block away from the gym. So I had to get the, Itali- <laughs> the Italian uh, one-on-one play school kit and try and uh, you know step into this world, but you there's there's so many so many different uh, roads I can go down and, and generally when I do these interviews what I try and do is is begin in areas that I have an interest in so the, the first mm-hmm. one is what is and this may not be something that is in your wheelhouse at all but I know your name comes from a prominent figure within the Baha'i faith. It's one yeah. of those religions where I know nothing about but I've heard about it like what, t- tell me from your perspective what, what is what is this religion? how did you wind up with with this uh, with, with this name from this from this uh, prominent figure in that religion?
1: Well, I won't go in too, too too deep with it, but I will say it's it's one of those religions that's not very dogmatic so they're very accepting and celebrating of every religion and, and really they're promoting love and being that love and action in the world. So that's the high level of it. And then my mom happened to be in the Baha'i faith when she had me. So she named me after this guy, Caduce, who was one of the first disciples of the Jesus of the Baha'i faith, which is a guy named Baha'u'llah. And so Caduce was a really prominent supporter of Baha'u'llah when no one else was at the party. You know what I mean? He was like the first guy, like, I got it. I'm with you. (laughs) The number one supporter. And so Caduceus is a really prominent figure from that perspective.
0: But you're not currently in the religion. Your mom is no longer in the religion. This is something that just. Correct. You you just got named it.
1: Correct. Well, the thing is, the name is actually one of the 99 names of Allah. So it transcends the Baha'i faith and it means the most holy or otherwise known as a man of peace. So regardless of whether I'm in the Baha'i faith or not, it works. It's like my North Star. You know what I mean?
0: Well, listen, that, this comes down to these, you know, this sort of like, uh, you know, Shakespeare, what's in the name thing, you know, did, did this name sort of dictate how you wound up in your life? I mean, this is what we're going to get into that, but I want to, I want to let people know sort of your, your chronology a little bit. So you had a passion for music early on and through a series of events, you found yourself walking into MTV. And you know, you've said that there was a bit of imposter syndrome that was going on for mm-hmm. you back at that time. Could you sort of like walk me through what that moment felt like as this, you know, Canadian kid in you know, what at that time was the superpower, right? MTV. Yeah. What what was that like for you?
1: A lot of energy. It was a lot of energy. I remember walking in the building feeling like I was not qualified to get the job that I was about to meet for. And then I walked through the hallways and I remember seeing Justin Timberlake on his way out with his whole posse. And I was like, okay, this is it. And I grew up in Canada where we had our own version of MTV called Much Music, a little bit more of an intimate vibe there. And still stars came by, but it was street level Literally, the stars could go right up to the window and the fans would be right there. And so it was was very Canadian, actually. It's very perfect, actually, for how we are. Very approachable, kind, uh, accessible type of people. Uh, But then when I got to MTV, it was like this huge building. The studio was above the ground, you know, looking down on the fans. The whole thing was a different scope in terms of the millions of people around the world who watched MTV at the time, specifically the show that I was to host, TRL. And so there was a lot of energy, a lot of excitement that was flooding my system. And and of course, (laughs) I'd done just enough work on myself to realize that that could be perceived as anxiety or excitement. And so I remember choosing the excitement as I walked into the meeting with this guy who's a talent development executive there named Scott Venner. Now he's gone on to be this incredible guy (laughs) that goes by Broke Mogul. He's got uh, show with pharrell on apple and the whole thing so he's gone from behind the scenes to in front of the scenes but at the time he was sitting there at the desk and he had a poker face and he's just looking at me with no emotion can you imagine i'm already flooded with anxiety slash excitement this guy's not giving me anything to work off of poker face the whole time except for one moment where he goes so why do you want to be a vj on mtv and i was like well because i can't sing like maxwell and this is the next best thing i really love music <laughs> And that cracked a little smile on his face. So that's how the meeting went. I walked out and I thought I bombed. I genuinely didn't know how I actually did. And so I walked off the the, the street and got on the phone with my family back home to Canada. And I was like, I, I think I'm coming back home. Pretty sure I didn't get that. And then two days later, I got a call from this guy, his agent, Kenny Goodman at William Morris. And he
0: said, you got the job. All right. So now you got the job, right? So now here you are. You're how old were you at the time? I was 20 years old. 20 years old. Oh, to be 20 years old. All right. So you're 20 (laughs) years old. You find out that you are, is it fair to say a VJ? Is that is that sort of like the right?
1: Well, it's, a, it's an antiquated term now. There's no such thing now, but it used to be video jockey. We would be the ones introducing the video. Therefore, we called video jockeys. <laughs> right. Now it's YouTube, right?
0: Now it's YouTube. Yeah, now it's YouTube. All right, so you got you got the job. You're in the, you're, uh, New York City, right? This is where it's broadcast yeah. from. You're in New York City. You're 20 years old. Is there a lot of cash involved at that time?
1: Yeah, more money than I'd ever thought I'd make at that point for sure.
0: All right, so now yeah, you got dough. It, it, got- it was
1: a good salary, uh, and now it was you, access too. It was like the the wealth of access was the biggest thing. So all of a sudden, I'm in parties with Diddy, I'm hanging out with Jay Z, Justin Timberlake on any given night. That's my life.
0: All right, so now you got you got dough in your pocket. You're in Manhattan, and you got instant celebrity. I mean, boom! Yeah, all of a sudden, people now are recognizing you. Do you remember the the moment where the first, uh, you know teenager probably walked over to you and said, Oh my God, do you remember that moment?
1: Yeah. Oh, hundred percent. Well, it was actually before I hit the air, I was doing a man on the street segment. So we call a man on the street segment of the business. So I basically just went out to Santa Monica, third street promenade to do a little bit for the Mandy Moore show. That was my very first assignment. So I was in LA for the first time. I'll never forget it. They put me up at the Standard on Hollywood Boulevard, actually Sunset. So anybody who's been in Hollywood knows it's like a very infamous hotel. Uh, and I walked in and there's literally this person that was obviously the receptionist, but then behind her was like a, a woman in a glass case, literally. <laughs> so it's like, anyway, that's the hotel that I'm in. We go to the assignment out in Santa Monica. I'm on the street interviewing fans about this thing, a bit, you know? and And so that was my first time holding the microphone that said MTV on it. And I'll never forget, everybody looked. Everybody who walked by was like looking at me as if I was special just inherently because I had the microphone in my head. And that's when I started to really get what was going on. And then of course, people came up. Hey, oh my God, what are, you, what are you shooting? What's your name? And there was this fascination I'd never felt before in my life. It's like this flood of attention. And so, yeah, that was my first moment.
0: Okay, so that started there. And how many years did you ultimately wind up having this gig for? Five years. Five years. Okay. So I would suspect, I mean, now you've got, you know, you're on the other side of this and you can look back and you can kind of think about that period of your life. Do you look back on that period of your life as uh, those were the days, or do you look back on where you are now and say, these are the days?
1: It's a bit of a mixture. I mean, I think there's something about the past that is, always dynamic in the way that we could always look back in the rear view mirror and wonder, huh, what if I made this choice? What if I made this choice? And I think I've transformed enough of the moments in my perception and experienced the upside of some of those debatable choices to reorient some of the regret that I had. And then now I look at it and I say, wow, if I didn't play it like I played it, I wouldn't be where I am now. And where I am now is exactly where I want to be. So in the whole final analysis, I look at it and say, great, (laughs) man, awesome. But like along the way, are you kidding me? I had lots of winding roads and uncertainty and doubt, a lot of risky choices, unconventional choice. Most people don't leave MTV unless they get fired. I left after five years. Like I pulled the Dave Chappelle before Dave Chappelle left Comedy Central, you know? So for me, it was radical to basically leave the thing that I thought was my dream job and then go off into nothing uncertain, you know, no certainty whatsoever. So uh, it was, it was, it was definitely wild.
0: Okay. But why you've got a good gig, you, you have celebrity, you have money, you have all the things we'll put air quotes up that people, (laughs) people aspire to who would want a gig like that. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you say, I'm out of here. I'm done. Take me back to that moment yeah. where you went, no, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna renew the contract. I'm not doing another thing.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I think I probably need to start with how I got the job in the first place, because how I got the job was in a moment where I'd come off a really powerful self-development experience combined with reading a book called Conversations with God which is Great to book. this day my favorite book. Yeah. 1, so, 2 or
0: 3? 1, 2 or 3. 1,
1: 1. I still haven't gotten to 2 or 3, but the first one did it for me.
0: It's like by the way, it's like The Godfather. 1 and 2 were amazing, <laughs> but 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 th- 3 3 never happens.
1: <laughs> totally. I <Yeah>, just look <laughs> at it every day. It's on my shelf. I'm like something about it just hasn't appealed yet. So, the first one got me in a space where I walked into that meeting at MTV feeling like anything was possible. I've got the wind at my back, right? So when I looked at my experience at MTV after a few years, and I felt like I wasn't having the conversation that helped me get the job, I started to ask myself, what is actually being an integrity for me right now? Because if my goal for being here on this platform is to make a difference, inspire people, make the biggest impact I can in a skin suit while I've got it, I had to really do an inventory to say, is this conversation the biggest impact? And and in that moment, I realized it wasn't. So it's it's interesting because you can look at being a a, a gatekeeper to that sort of a platform and a a facilitator of pop culture moments as something that's incredibly impactful because I think it facilitates the embodiment of possibility and what everybody wants, right? People wanna be fully expressed They want to live the life of their dreams. They want to sing from the mountaintops, right? So there we were actually creating a mountaintop for people to sing on. But I got to thinking, what would it be like to actually be the one to help the person get to the mountaintop? And that became the fascination that had me leave MTV because it wasn't the same conversation. And so then I got into artist development at MySpace Records. And it it was a different ballgame, being the one at the front end of the pipeline of talent hitting
0: the screen. All right. Before we get into that, I want, there's a, there's a pocket here. I want to, I want to play with. So Mm -hmm. I, it takes me a minute to fully understand people. Like I was listening to a a Joe (laughs) Rogan, I was listening to a Joe Rogan show the other day and somebody had asked him like, you know, dude, what, why do you, why are you doing three hour podcasts? He's like, it takes me like a couple hours to like, you know, really get to know somebody and understand them. I, I, it's difficult enough for me to do it in an hour, but I'm always amazed at guys who did what you did. Where you've got, you know, handlers off on the side. You've got sound bites. You've got commercial breaks, and somebody goes three, two, one, go, and you've got to turn on the charm, ask a smart question, connect with somebody, and then they're off to the next eighty-seven thousand interviews that they're doing. Mm -hmm. What is the skill set that was inside of you from a a visceral standpoint? Maybe maybe skill set's a bad word. What was the energy that you held in your body that allowed you to connect as successfully as you did? Because listen, I could sit here all day long and tell you how amazing you are. They wanted you for five years and you said no. So the proof is in the pudding that you were good at what you did. So like, where did that come from?
1: curiosity more than anything i was always really curious and my mother really modeled that for me because she was a teacher and yet even as a teacher she would always be the student always be leaning in and wondering what was going on with me asking questions so i got to really see firsthand what that created which was me feeling like i mattered and so i remember just coming off of my childhood thinking wow if i can ask those types of questions to people they're going to feel like they matter and of course on a stage like mtv it takes on a whole nother level because then i can actually help tell somebody's story and so i got really curious about the people that came through those doors and and what added up to the album that we got to listen to or the movie that was coming out because i knew there was a story behind that creation that was probably going to unlock a lot for people listening so that's where it really came from
0: all right so now now you're in the world of uh media training and you've got a company now called camera ready um and we're going to get into that oh actually
1: that's my my last company
0: Now you divorce later.
1: My ex-wife has that.
0: (laughs) Well, listen, I mean, you know, I saw I saw a Porsche the other day, and the uh, license plate said, You ready for this? Was his. Yeah,
1: relatable. (laughs) Very relatable. Can you imagine? Yeah. Well, and and you know what? I, I love the fact that she's running with it because as we were going through the divorce, it was very clear that in some ways I wasn't really in alignment with. That iteration of the media training that I want to deliver, which is what I'm delivering now, to the Media Mastery Academy. So right. it's a it's a different iteration of the same kind of work.
0: All right. So we're gonna we're gonna dig into the Media Mastery Academy in a second. Um, but I want to preframe this. You you're helping people well, let me just ask you, what exactly are you doing with the Media Mastery Academy? Let me make sure I understand it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So basically we take people through a process where they really understand their hero's journey because a lot of people don't really get their hero's journey. And then when they're getting in front of a camera, they wonder why they feel nervous or imposter syndrome. It's because they haven't actually anchored into the hero's journey that they've gone through in such a way where they can show up on a microphone and deliver powerfully. So the first touch point of what we do there is that hero's journey. We develop people's hero's journey. So they stand on a different platform by the end of the first program. So that gives you an idea of what we do.
0: Okay, so the hero's journey, that is Joseph Campbell's work, I think. And for, for those that don't know what that is, just in short, what is the hero's journey?
1: It's the breakdown to breakthrough journey that a lot of us go through. You know, you ask most successful people about the challenges along the way. And it's that moment where life brought us to our knees and we rose up. Because that's that's the inflection point that people really need to hear more than anything. It's that ability to really relate to the struggle, the challenge, the limitations that we all have as humans. And then the overcoming of it is the hero's journey. It's getting on the other side of it. It's being able to actually transform. And so that's what every great movie has at the core of it. It's this arc of the protagonist that goes from the underdog to the one who wins the game, right? So that's the hero's journey that we all go through on some level.
0: Where do most people who are in your academy um, miss this? Where they, where, where, like, what is the thing that you always spot with them? Where you're like, you, this is you're making you're making the same mistake that everybody makes. You're not identifying where you've broken down. You're trying to gloss over it. You're trying to cover it up. But actually, that's your power. So walk me through, like, who's the person that's right for this?
1: Most people have too much shame still around that moment where they were brought to their knees to actually use it as a powerful story. So that's Mm -hmm. the thing that gets in a lot of people's way. There's not enough spaces and places in the world where people can process their shame in such a way where they can see the breakthrough and who they actually became in the process of overcoming the breakdown. Most people are just tied up in the breakdown thinking, gosh, I wish I could have, would have, should have versus actually that was perfect because that gave me a place to actually transform myself. You know, it's like, if we don't go through that, we don't get the resilience, we don't get the wisdom. And so a lot of people just throw the baby out with the bathwater. They don't think they really had that moment in such a way where they can use that moment instead of abandoning that moment and like tucking it in the closet. You know, a lot of people, we tuck it in the closet, we shove it down, we don't want to share it, you know, because we think we, we were wrong or we weren't enough or whatever. So it's the stuff that we make up that gets in the way of all those plot points that people really want to know about.
0: I've seen I've seen two versions of this and I'd love to get your take on it. There's there's the one version and we'll use Instagram because that's sort of like what we all have in common here, right? There's the one mm-hmm. version where on Instagram where everybody is continually talking about their their breakdown of, mm-hmm. you know, the their the childhood trauma, the you, you get the idea that where yeah. they just they they can't shake it and they've been on you know the couch for the last 20 years and it's all they talk mm-hmm. about. But then there's the other one that where everything is so overfiltered and so amazing that you look and you're like oh my god like you're so not relatable you're so not real. <laughs> How do you do the dance between sharing what you mm-hmm. had to overcome but not being so annoying that the whole world has to continually go through your trauma forever and yet and be able to show what the other side of it is. You, you, you get what I'm getting at here? Yeah,
1: for sure. It, well, I think it's a moment to moment game. I think that's what authenticity is actually is being really present to what's wanted and needed in front of us versus having some prepackaged soundbite. And, oh, let me give my story here. The, that breakdown to breakthrough thing, because that's the thing I should offer here. As if it's not necessarily something else, you know what I mean? And that's really where it comes down to the feeling that we get when we listen to an interview. We know somebody's had that prepackaged. That's what we don't relate to is like this idea of like, this is where I say the thing that makes me a hero. Like that's like vomit inducing, right? And so it's truly about the organicness of the conversation and what's like really wanted and needed there. And most people just can't be present. That's the issue with most people in interviews is they feel like because of the project that's coming out or whatever they've made up, that gets in the way of the presence. And so, of course, we experience it as inauthenticity inauthenticity on our side as the audience, and it feels like that story again. But I guarantee if it's actually coming in the form of a conversation and a question that warrants that answer, that it feels different. It hits different every time.
0: How do you, as the interviewer, do it. And as the person being interviewed, stay present enough to, you know, every, um, every politician is taught that, you know, you, you gotta get your talking points in, right? So you've got, you come with the agenda, you know, JT comes with his, uh, his album that is, that he's talking about and they, and they got their thing. Mm -hmm. How do you, Mm -hmm. how do you get that presence out of somebody? And if you're that person, how do you get the message out without and, and, and remain present?
1: Yeah, well, trust is a big part of it. Being able to trust that as an interviewer, I can actually track what's being said and be able to ask the inspired questions. It's like our ability to be present with the wave versus try to control it or think we know where the wave's supposed to go. So it's very much like that. So if you can get that in your in your body, if you can get that muscle memory of being able to surf a wave with someone, then it's like a point of no return, you know. It's like you know when it feels good in an interview where you're flowing, you're going with it. You're not like attached to where you thought the conversation would go, right? So as the interviewer, that's the game, right? But as an interviewee, it's actually surrendering to the curiosity of the interviewer and not, again, being attached to the agenda, you know. And and because that's, I mean, I have many guests came by TRL, and you could tell they were not in relationship with what I, as the interviewer, representing the people was actually curious about and they're they're going off on their promo thing and we're like, whoa, not even relatable at all. Not gonna buy the album. And that's how it happens. And uh, so people wonder (laughs) why did the album not fly off the shelf? Because you weren't present with the gateway of the curiosity for the people. So of course you're gonna drop the ball and not be relatable and then they won't connect.
0: Do you look back now? Has there been times, you know, you have enough years between that gig and, and where you are now It would be interesting to me to see, uh, we'll just use JT because we've been talking about him. When you think about the JT that you met back then and the JT Mm -hmm. now, as an example, it doesn't have to be him, it could be anybody. Do you see an evolution in people as they go on or do they, you know, just, they're still the same. They're still doing the same thing.
1: (laughs) It depends. I mean, I think it's a case for case basis. It's, It's not like these celebrities are any different than us. You know, we know that uncle that's so set in his way he shows up at the barbecue every year and be the exact same uncle no matter what kind of feedback the world's giving him. You know, same thing with these celebs. Like they sometimes get away with a lot of the same things that got them in the door and they keep enough yes-men around them and the market does enough to validate the way they've always been for them to stay in that lane and they never change, right? And then there's some people like Andre 3000. You never know what kind of song he's going to be on next, Right. And so it, it, it's very much like everybody, really, truly. I always like bring it back to the same thing. We people ask me about what's it, what's it like being around Stevie Wonder, and I'm sure, like, I'm like, well, it's remarkably like everyone else I've been around, actually. Really? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think there's more energy around them. Like, there's more of the entourage. But when you get down to it, the moment of actually just connecting with that person, they're just like everyone else. And sometimes. They have more limitations conversationally because of their celebrity, because they have this whole thing that they have to like keep up versus the normal person who's just walking through the world without any sort of you know media hype and uh, projections of who they're supposed to be. So it's an interesting thing when people think about celebrity as like the goal. I'm like, uh-uh, that's the booby prize. But a lot of people have bought into it.
0: I love that. I I did not expect you to answer presence with a interview. I thought there was going to be, it was going to be much more tactical in nature. Mm -hmm. And it's really interesting. I'm sort of going back in my mind now, thinking about the people that I've interviewed who were the best. And we we talked earlier about uh, in Q, he was, -hmm. he is and was extraordinarily present. And because Mm -hmm. of his presence, the interview went in lots of different directions that I didn't think it was gonna go. And you described it as surfing a wave. And that's probably the best description I've ever heard because that's what mm. it feels like when you're with somebody, you're riding a wave together. There's, a, there's an energy thing that happens. So how do you teach people to be present? In other words, are there some specific strategies that you have mm. where you recommend meditation, where you recommend journaling, you know, like if you get granular on this, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I know it sounds crazy because all you have to do is just be present, but Mm -hmm. we're not, we're distracted. Mm -hmm. We've got dings and bells and and this and that. You know what I mean? Like how do you teach people to do something as simple as presence?
1: Yeah, I love that you're referencing the technology because that's actually the easiest part of the distraction. So much of it just happens in our minds, right? Oh my gosh. So the fact is we got to acknowledge what gets in the way of presence first, which is all of the stuff like the baggage or the projected ideas of what's this supposed to be. And then so that's the work we do around the the hero's journey first and foremost for people to be really present to who they are in the matter. Because sometimes people go on automatic pilot and they don't really come in to the interview owning who they are. And so they're in this interview, not necessarily bringing the fullness that they could bring had they done that inventory. So that's the first step that we work with people on is really getting that inventory in their bones where they are super clear about what their values are, what their vision is, what their mission is, how they've walked that, you know, so that they can come wholehearted to something and not feel like there's something back there that's unresolved. So that's the first work that we do with people. And it's a very self-development kind of dynamic, but, you know, on the other side of it is a full self to work with. So it's nothing left behind. It's all there. It's all integrated. It's all available for the interview and not like some sort of, you know, bracket in the back of our mind.
0: So how do you, I love the word racket. How do you, mm-hmm. um, how do you do that? Is it taking them through trauma that they've had? Mm-hmm. How, how do you do that?
1: Yeah. There's a lot of different things that we offer up in terms of conversations, processes, exercises, One of the things I could offer anyone listening right now is something called the brag Bank. And so it doesn't go into the trauma place, but this is more about really owning your greatness, owning the path that you've walked so that, again, you're really walking with your head held high. There's not some part of you that's still in some level of shame around whatever you did when you are 11 or whatever you did with 23, whatever it is, that you're really integrating all of the lessons, the wisdom, because then it's going to be a whole different you that shows up. So this process is called the brag bank. So if you can just pull out a pen and pad right now and actually give yourself some time, even put this on pause. The more important that you do this exercise that you listen to this interview. This is how important this is for most people. Take out a pen and pad, write down all the things you've accomplished in your life and leave nothing not acknowledged. So if it's you made the basketball team when you're in grade nine, if it's you walked up to Becky and you got that date when you're 17 and you because you know you felt that way, you know you would have regretted it if not if you turned Becky into your wife. Then you got the job that you always wanted and you did a great job and you got that promotion. Whatever it is, right? Like take account of all the things that make you you, that give you potentially a differentiator from someone else. And then as you actually write that down, take account of that, it alchemizes into a platform that's really present, right? Because a lot of people don't do this stuff. You know, the journaling thing, it's available to everybody all the time. And yet what percentage of the population do you think actually does that work? Not many. Yeah. And so that's really why we take some time to actually take inventory, do the brag bank. I totally implore you if you're listening, do the brag bank. See how you feel on the other side. And then ask yourself, am I going to bring myself differently to the next interview? Absolutely. It's probably the answer.
0: Yeah. You did a uh, a TED Talk uh, a while ago called Confessions of a Recovering Influencer, right? <laughs> Which we've, we've changed.
1: We've changed the title a few times. <laughs>
0: oh, you have? You have. Yeah, yeah are the you, organizer
1: are you, is a friend. This doesn't happen with most TED Talks. But we, we just looked at it again and again because- uh, you know, we we do this work constantly in the academy with people talking about titles and whatnot. So we have a very high standard. And the whole process leading into the TED Talk was kind of rushed for me. I actually got called the month before the TED Talk. And so to admit what my process was, I, I really felt like I got on that stage and I let my heart out. And it was exactly the talk I wanted to give. But when I think about the messaging around it, we didn't have it dialed in yet in terms of like that top line title so it took us a couple months you'll see a new version out any minute now we're going to do,
0: do you remember the the uh the, the new name yeah so the
1: new name well it's very very ted right cuz we got to think about like to title something effectively you got to really think about the the ocean you're swimming in and with the first one the confessions of a recovering influencer i mean that would make a great memoir of the great comedic memoir uh but as far as ted an educational platform we're going with How to master your social media?
0: It's great. It's great. The how to is always uh, yeah, simple, simple, clear. I got it. I know exactly what you want me to do. Um, Okay. So you study improv, and I believe that you study that at the Groundlings. Is that right? Mm, I did a bit at the Groundlings. Yeah. You you did. Okay. What does studying improv? Or has studying improv done for you?
1: Oh, well, the biggest thing coming out of that was this idea of being in the yes and. You know, so whatever said, instead of sort of negating it, diminishing it, which we do sometimes, or you know, not necessarily going with it, being attached to what it is we thought we wanted to say, so if we're present, if we're going with it, and we're being in the oh, you said that, so yes. And here's another thought based on what you said. It's a whole different arc, right? That's where the wave comes and you surf it versus, you know, (laughs) falling under the wave because you're not in the yes and. If you're in the yes and you're like embracing, accepting it, you're catching the ball and you're running with whatever's said.
0: I just got it. You you have to be present to play that game. Yeah. Cause you don't know what you don't know what the hell's coming at you.
1: Totally. Presence is the portal
0: really, really presence is the portal. That may be the name of this podcast. That was really good. Um, mm. All right. So we're going to, we're going to dip around into some, uh, some random, weird personal questions about you. Just, just <laughs> roll with it. Just, I know you're going to <laughs> be, this is yes, going to be fun for you. <laughs> <laughs> what do people often get wrong about you?
1: I think a lot of people think I've got all my stuff together and I don't. I mean, if you saw my closet and the clothes all over. <laughs> like a hot mess behind the scenes. But if yeah, when really I show want, up if on you camera. Really,
0: yeah. If you really want to know somebody, walk in their closet, you'll know what's going exactly. on. I got it.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah.
0: <laughs> what is one thing that you've not gotten to in your life? But if you don't get to this, you're going to have a lot of regret. Mm, what a powerful question. The book. I've got a lot
1: of stories with a heck of a lot of, of lessons there that I know it took me a while to learn, which is part of why it's delayed, is is really for me to integrate the lesson so that there is that arc. You know, I think in some ways, like I've been in the third act lately, therefore I've felt a little resistance around writing it, but, you know, it's time. So that's that's really
0: on deck. What are some some things that you're currently doing, but you don't really love? You're doing them, but you mm. don't love it. And you would prefer to do less of it.
1: Woo. That might be not the question for this guy because I've, I've really curated my life in such a way where I only do what I love and, the, and what I'm passionate about.
0: So it's a great, it's a great answer. I mean, if you, yeah. if you, if it, if there's a struggle there um, to come up with something, that tells me you're pretty clear that you wanted only do the shit that you want to do. So yeah, I It took that. a lot to
1: get here, I will say. I mean, the, the road here was really
0: tough, but I'm, I'm very happy
1: with the design.
0: <laughs> I like that. Um, what new behavior or habit has most improved your life? I would say
1: my morning routine. It's pretty so? non-negotiable at this point. So I get up, I meditate, I move, I go outside. I'll even dance in the park sometimes. I'm that guy who's like dancing in the park. I really move my body, get some energy going. Uh, have a good smoothie, things like that really set me up to win. So that morning routine has really leveled up my life in a major
0: way. What's an unusual or even absurd thing that you love? You, you know, people are like, God, that's weird, but he loves it. What <laughs> comes to mind when I say that?
1: Uh, well, there's nothing I love more than 90s hip hop. Okay. And I probably will never change my opinion that that is the golden era of hip hop. And all these people rapping right now, like they can try, they can do it. they you know, Whatever that is, they call it, but I call not just hip hop, real hip hop.
0: That's the real that's, stuff.
1: That's like one of those things. I would debate anybody on that.
0: <laughs> What's one goal that you thought, you know, when I achieve this, my life is going to be amazing. If I just get this goal and then you got it and you're like, ah, that wasn't, it wasn't what I thought it was going to be I'm hosting
1: television. Yeah, it was it was very sexy. It had all the glam, and at the end of the day, it's like not really fulfilling. And I wanted to have a deeper conversation and really connect, like this podcast, an example of the type of conversation I wanted to have. But we only had two minutes with Jim Carrey. <laughs> <laughs> you It's kind of like the, the biggest tease. I basically felt like I was just getting teased. For five years and then beyond. I mean, I still did hosting here and there. Uh, but that that's that's one of those things that comes to mind.
0: If you could spend one month anywhere in the world, where would it be and why?
1: Ooh, oh, oh, man, you're hitting my heartstring now. I've been thinking about my dad a lot. And you know, he's getting older. And he yeah. lives in Montreal, Canada. And uh, this whole pandemic has been making it challenging to visit him. So yeah. I would just love to go and spend the month with my dad.
0: You know, I've, I've done, God, I'm, I think I'm on 400 times asking that question and nobody's ever said that. That's really, really good. You know, um, do you know, Jesse Itzler? Heard the name, not that familiar
1: though.
0: All right. So he, um, he started NetJets and he's married to Sarah Blakely who started Spanx, um, blah, blah, blah. And he said, he said, how, how old are your, your parents? And I said, uh, yeah, you know, 75. He said, okay. Um, you know, the average, the average lifespan, let's say is 80 years. How often do you see him twice a year? Okay. So you have 10 more times left that you're going to see a parent. And I went, Mm -hmm. whoa, he said, let's do, Mm -hmm. let's do another one. How old are you? 55. Well, the average person lives to 80. So you have about 25 summers left. And I went, oh, God, that's really oh. heavy. When you quantify wow. it and you yeah. think about it. So I mm. love that. I love that you gave that uh, answer. Are mm-hmm. there are there any positions or opinions in the last few years, or it could be way back. It doesn't have to be in the last few years that you've changed your position on substantially, or maybe even completely changed your mind. We used to be like, you know, I used to think this way about this, mm. but I don't I don't think that way anymore. I I, I I think differently now.
1: Yeah, I got something for you. Politics. I used to write it off. I used to think nothing good could come of it. All I saw was gridlock and ego and power trip. And you know, that was my lens on it. I had a very, yeah. very positioned perspective on it. But I really appreciate anyone who's willing to dedicate their life to public service because the ideal of it. The intention that I think a lot of politicians have going into it is to serve people, to actually be in a position to enact some policy that's going to actually help people in their life. I don't know of a lot of people that get into something because they're inherently evil and want to then do bad with it. I think yeah. it's along the way the system oftentimes isn't set up in such a way where the culture ends up massaging the best of people to get through to the front lines of what it is that they're dealing with. And politics is a great example. We need to really reinvent politics as a system uh, but so the thing is looking at politicians as distinct from the system is what I've been able to do lately and I mm-hmm. really appreciate anybody who's willing to to try to do that. It takes a, a big heart to do that
0: uh, and a lot of balls there's no question mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. With every with every new level comes a new devil. Mm-hmm. what are you mm-hmm. currently what are you currently struggling with?
1: Ooh, I am currently struggling with one of my biggest brackets. You love that word, this idea yeah. that like I have a limited belief that I keep coming up against because I keep throwing myself into the ring at really high levels and like testing my capacity to facilitate a leadership training for a Fortune 100 company. You know, like That is something that challenges my worthiness, my belief in my capacity to actually walk into a room or a Zoom and facilitate a transformational conversation for a C-suite of a top 100 company. You know what I'm saying? Like that really bumps up against my worthiness every time. I think, oh, who am I? You know, are they really going to listen to this former MTV VJ? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like I have this part of me that wants to just diminish everything that would have me stand in that room and own why they hired me to facilitate that transformational
0: conversation. Isn't it so interesting because... It could it could completely be a reframe where you could walk into the room and say I have interviewed the best people in the world and I had two minutes to connect and communicate. There's nobody better on the planet who can do what I can do, and I have so much to teach them. And there's not one person in the C-suite who has that skill set, and I'm going to deliver it. Mm-hmm. Like it's just a reframe, of you know course, what I mean?
1: Yeah, a hundred percent. So it's always the game of what are we listening right. to? You know, that's that devil right. on the right shoulder of the angel on the left. <laughs> yeah. They're always dancing. They always want my attention.
0: Moment. you're beautiful you're so handsome you're an idiot you never you never <laughs> yeah, amounted yeah, exactly. to anything you know what exactly. i mean like
1: people only knew you dropped out of college <laughs> and the other like but you went to mtv though <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: right like fuck you <laughs> yeah. well for sure and that's the thing it's like I, I think until i walked into a self-development experience and heard other people grappling with this stuff i really thought i was crazy i thought I was like yeah my shit I was alone in this awful vacuum of my mind that wanted to have this duality at all times. But that's the human
0: condition. It is. We're wired that way. All right, we're yeah. going to do a speed round as we wrap up. Uh, answer as quickly uh, as slowly as you like. What would your friends say is one of your superpowers? Curiosity. What keeps? I'm you always up the guy at-
1: asking all the questions.
0: <laughs> well, we we switched that today. Uh, yeah. What uh, what keeps you up at night? Excitement. I feel really excited about what I'm up to. And I think about all the ideas that I want to execute on. Do you collect anything or have you ever collected anything?
1: Big like books. Not that I read them all, but I definitely collect a
0: lot. Yeah, I know. I, believe me. My, I I, I got a, a similar situation. Uh, what do yeah. people never ask you, but you wish they did? I mean, everybody's asking you about TRL, right? That's your thing. But what do yeah. people never ask you? They never ask me about this. No.
1: I don't think people ask me a lot about my divorce because they feel like maybe there's some touchiness, and triggers that they're going to step on, uh, but I'm actually very willing to talk about it. And I think it's you know, ultimately going to be a whole other book because divorce was, was quite the teacher, quite the teacher.
0: That's a good title, by the way. Divorce mm. is quite the teacher. That's a really good title. <laughs> I'll type. write that down. Uh-huh. Yeah, divorce is quite the teacher. That is a mm. real, because, because I've been through it and I know mm. it's it it's interesting that you brought that up because I did not have a lot of people who asked me about it either. And mm. it is, and I was willing to talk about it. I think it's just one of those things where people are like, I, I don't want to. You know, because most <laughs> yeah. people don't want to talk about it. So, yeah. um, you know, you have a, you've done a lot of self development where you, I'm sure, look at it as a lesson or or a teaching moment. Yeah. So, I love yeah. that. Yeah, totally, um, totally. What is one thing that you want to get better at? Discipline.
1: I think I've prioritized this- my feelings and like the flow, and you know, you've been using this metaphor of surfing. It's very indicative of my mindset, which is you know, life is to be served. Like, what do you mean a schedule? What do you mean, you know, <laughs> discipline? I want to feel what I feel and do something based on my feelings. <laughs> it's not right. congruent sometimes with discipline. So I, I get to work on that.
0: That's true. I mean, there's a, it's a good book by Jocko Willick, um, the uh, Navy SEAL guy. And he, he, mm. he ta- I'm paraphrasing, but he talks about how they, the freedom is in the discipline. So when mm. you've got the discipline, you're actually free because you've got, structure that's in place that allows you to surf but you've got yeah. the structure. So it's a yeah. it's 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 interesting. What that's book cool. have you reread reread the most? Conversations with God
1: book 1. I've I've read that probably a handful of times and uh each time it hits so deep. It covers everything at the depth like the most fundamental level that I want to think about things is in that book.
0: <laughs> yeah. That, that dude was talking with God. There's no, there's no, no two ways about it. <laughs> yeah. What is your guilty pleasure?
1: Dessert, man. I love me some dessert. What, what kind? <laughs> well, mochi. L- lately mochi. it's been a lot of mochi. Oh yeah. Yeah. We go to sushi a lot and we always get the mochi. Ah, my kryptonite.
0: I love that. Um, <clears throat> two questions left. What is one thing that you own? And you should probably throw it out, but you never will. So
1: the notes that I've taken as an apprentice to my facilitator mentors, you know, I've been in all these transformational workshops with these mentors of mine, written all these notes. And I'm very precious about these notes because it's gold. Like if you look through my notes, it's gold. I mean, I could literally turn that into a book and I'll probably will, but maybe I won't in which case I should throw it out. <laughs> but yeah, like my journey to become a facilitator of these types of trainings that I facilitate, it, it was a long and winding road. And I learned from a lot of really, really skillful Jedis in this work. And so the fact that I was able to write those notes, I mean, it's, you know, it's kind of like being at the feet of Yoda, and not soaking it all in and then keeping what you soaked in somewhere. So just in case you lose your mind, you can like pull it off yourself.
0: Sure. Okay, let's change it up a little bit. What one question would you like to ask me?
1: Oh, what was your biggest takeaway from our conversation so far?
0: Uh, presence. Mm. Presence, because as a, as an, I'm, listen, I'm preaching to the choir here, but as a, as an <laughs> interviewer, you said, you said something that was really, interesting because my my immediate reaction to when you said presence was well how the hell am I supposed to keep everything in my head and think about the next question and remember where we were and be in the moments but then you immediately oh. said it's your job to keep track of it So the skill set to be present with somebody keep track of the conversation, and ask an in-the-moment question isn't easy to do. I'll give you an example. Um, I just listened to, uh, do you like listening to Joe Rogan's podcast? Have you ever listened to it? Yeah, once in a while. Mm -hmm. Okay, so he just interviewed uh, Sanjay Gupta, right? The medical expert Yeah, I love that
1: conversation. Did Mm -hmm. you hear that?
0: Yeah, great one. He had him in a headlock and he was pounding, right? Mm -hmm. Not letting Mm -hmm. go. And then he was open and loving and sipping bourbon that he brought, getting him a little, getting him a little liquored up. And then he was pounding him. And by pounding, I don't mean he was aggressive. I mean, he intuitively knew that Sanjay was guarded. He was not being real, but the presence that Joe had in that moment to be able to go, no, 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 no. You're not getting out of this you're not answering my question and I'm not letting you fucking go until you do <laughs> that level of presence. It, he could have easily been a dick and he could have easily have been just hard for the sake of heart, but because he was present mm-hmm. and in the moment, how he showed up in that moment was different than he showed up for lots of other people, because that's mm-hmm. what that moment required for him. Yeah. Because he was present. Yeah. Yeah. Does that, does that make sense? Masterful.
1: Absolutely. Because especially with the stakes in that conversation, for him to miss one beat of that conversation would mean to be not credible to a whole sect of people. Right.
0: And there's no way that you can have that conversation if you're not present, because then otherwise you're just, he's phoning it in, you're phoning it in, everybody's getting, you're a vaxxer, you're an anti-vaxxer, okay, we, we agree to disagree, and you go yeah. your way, and I go mine. But that's not yeah. what came out of it. What came out of it was you and I now having a conversation about that conversation. <laughs> yeah. And I'll give you one better. Because he was present, Sanjay had no choice but to be mm. present, because he felt his presence. Yeah. So it was that's a how powerful two, presence is. That's how powerful presence is. Yeah. So that's exactly. Um it. so that's what that's what I thought was the best thing that you said. <laughs> nice, nice. No, you know what's
1: funny is like I actually asked the takeaway thing, not from like a perspective of wanting to get validation for anything I said. Actually, it could have been a takeaway from what you said too. And this is where it gets really interesting with interviews, because sometimes if we're really in that surf, we'll say something that surprises us. You could yes. said something in that surfing that would have been like, wow, that's my takeaway. I said it and I didn't know I had that in the tank, but that's what I said and that's my takeaway.
0: That's really good. That's really, really good. I remember getting a massage once. I was in Miami. I remember right where I was. I was at the Delano uh, Hotel in Miami. They closed down now, but I was getting a massage and the, the therapist was so good. Like I've never had one before and I never had one after that was this good. And he said something mm-hmm. to me he said, I have to enjoy massaging you as much as you enjoy getting massaged. Oh,
1: yeah, that's huge. That's huge. Well, that's how I feel with, with coaching people because when I'm coaching someone, I get to be in the conversation too for what I'm grappling with, which is what we're all grappling with around this stuff. And so like coaching myself at the same time, it's super valuable to be in that like giving and taking, you know, it's that full circle conversation.
0: Well, look. There's there's no doubt in my mind that MTV loved you. My friends love you. I love you. There's a lot of love, <laughs> all the way from Italy. I'm shooting love at you. You were incredible. Um, this was a this was a great great interview. I knew it would be. Do you have any final words, suggestions, or an ask for the people that are listening?
1: Oh well, my only ask is that if something in this conversation stirred your soul about owning your voice sharing your story, making the difference that you know you probably could make if you were to actually do a podcast or get on that TED stage or whatever it is, do it, do it. Because there's somebody in the world that needs to hear what you have to say. Not what I have to say, but what you have to say. That's my ask, is you honor that part of your soul right now that's fired up, stirred up. Do it. Get on the mic.
0: Do it, I love it. Thanks again for being on the show.
1: Of course, pleasure